Welcome back to another Incongruent Plus episode with Arjun and Samira. Seems like we're becoming regulars on this side of the podcast. Yeah, of course. So today we are joined by someone who is not only regular in the world of radio and podcasting, but is considered a true legend in the field. What incredibly extensive and impressive professional career in broadcasting for over 35 years to be exact. He has successfully embraced the role of video producer, writer, presenter, media trainer, and blessed with more than 40 countries on six of the seven continents with programs. Most recently, the UAE, a weekly UAE and international travel program called Wish You Were Here Every Saturday from 2 to 5 p.m. on Capital Radio. So, Phil, the Podmaster Blizzard, we are so honored to have you here. Welcome to the Incongruent Podcast. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to be joining you, and uh, you've done a lot of research. You've mentioned a few <laughs> things that I wasn't totally aware of. I, I, I've done in the uh, three and a half decades of broadcasting. Of course. When we were actually going researching about you, it was like, we were blown off. For sure. <laughs> we're definitely trying to convince you of our journalistic titles. But so, with Phil the Podmaster, was that a name that you came up with, or... Tell us the story behind that. Well, as you as you know, you're so involved with uh, podcasting, and it must be great to be studying multimedia and have the option to do podcasting as well. But uh, I started back in about uh, 14 years ago with a, a company called AME Info, which is part of a British organisation called EMAP, and they have a, a had a set up here with uh, AME Info and me, Middle East uh, Economic Digest. And I was asked, I was approached to help them with their audio set. So we had an online radio station, which was business-focused, music and a lot of interviews. And we, we started, we were probably the first actually to do podcasting in the region. I was able to draw in on my extensive broadcasting experience um, in the UK and UAE to, to drive that forward. So, uh, um, and then with the reactivation, and, and I'm doing a lot of um, corporate and commercial podcasting for big clients. I don't know, Podmasters just all came into play. Well, it's definitely very suiting. And I love it personally. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks very much. Okay, moving on. So I'm so sorry, but I'm afraid I won't be able to go on with this interview without asking you this particular question. Sure. So since you are a travel enthusiast, talks more about travel, I want to know which is your favorite airline and your favorite aircraft? Uh, well, no doubt about it is the... Airbus A380, and to go with that, it's got to be uh, Emirates in many ways because I've had so many wonderful experiences from a, yeah, a flying perspective, but more importantly, from a broadcasting experience. So when it comes to the A380, I first went on board the aircraft many years ago when they had the um, um, – it wasn't an, an Emirates aircraft at the time. It was Airbus. It was on display at the uh, air show in Dubai, and it was a test bed. So there were no seats inside. It was just – lower deck, upper deck, full of technology and great big canisters of water. And you might say, why were there canisters of water? They were to resemble the passengers on the flight and they could sort of empty the uh, the water, fill it, depending on how many passengers they wanted on board. So it's a flying test bed. It was a fascinating experience to go on board that and explore all the different aspects of, of the aircraft. And then later on, when it came into service, or just as it came into service, I was invited to go to the handover ceremony of the very first A380 from uh, Airbus to 
uh, Emirates Airline. It was in Hamburg, Germany, what is known as the Airbus Delivery Center. So for them, it's like receiving a new child into the fleet. There was so much excitement, so buzz, so much buzz. And uh, we were able to do lots of interviews with the head of Emirates, the head of uh, Airbus, and uh, such a incredibly emotional experience when the A380 was pulled in front of the, the hangar, which was set up for the media. And about 3,000 workers were from Airbus were around the aircraft. And at one point, the door on the upper deck opened and his highness Ahmed came out. So Tim Clark and the Airbus official, and they were greeted like rock stars. It was like the Beatles had arrived. They were big cheers and shouting and waving. And we were able to film that and capture it and then do the interviews after. A fabulous experience. Like uh, when you were just describing that itself, I'm like getting goosebumps out of nowhere. <laughs> and then on the next day, we were able to fly back on the aircraft or fly on the delivery flight's quarters. It flew from Hamburg to Dubai, and there was only about 50 on it, and we could film in every aspect, every uh, part of the aircraft except for the cockpit. So we experienced economy, business class, and first class, and even filmed in the shower. Yeah, I did. I did read that. You're one of the first people to uh, film there on the shower. Not a pretty sight. <laughs> well, I'm certain we're all looking forward to taking to the skies again in an Emirates A380. Hopefully soon. Like I do love seeing the A380, but I have never flown on it, so I got to fly on that once. Ajahn, will that be number one on your bucket list? You say? Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and what about you, Samira? I actually was very. Very lucky to have flown on not on the second floor, but I think at least just visiting the second floor, just looking around would definitely be on my bucket list. But just yeah, yeah flying again is something absolutely. That's, really that's, I think that's what we all want to do. So moving on, you're here in UAE, I assume, for more than thirty years, right? Just about yeah. Yeah. So I assume like you did work for some time for Dubai ninety two. I did indeed. That's the reason why I came to the UAE to work on the uh, Dubai FM 92 and very much sort of focusing on uh, a daily show and also outside broadcast, which uh, how, how was that? How UAE, was that experience? All over the place. How was that experience? Because I assume Dubai 92 is ARN's radio station, right? Arabian Radio Networks, right? Now it is, yes. But in those days, it was purely the Dubai government uh, English language radio station, part of Dubai TV and radio uh, organization for uh -huh. the Dubai government. So there was the uh, Arabic services, the English service on 92, and uh, on TV, Channel 33, which was the TV uh, channel at the time. Yeah. So uh, and I think I got the uh, position because of my experience with BBC local radio in the UK, and we did a lot of outside broadcasting, and they wanted someone to sort of help on 92 to move things forward in terms of covering major events, be it uh, sporting events like power racing, golf, the Dubai Tennis uh, Championships, and uh, events like the Dubai Air Show, for example. So uh, mm -hmm. with my experience from BBC Radio in the UK doing outside broadcasts, I sort of fitted the slot, I suppose. Interesting. And so having been in the industry for such a long time, what is the biggest adjustment you've observed in radio from the late 20th century to now? I suppose a lot of it is automation, which has some good points and not so good points. And uh, uh, not so much here, but back in my home country in the UK, a lot of local independent organizations have been amalgamated into 
broad-based networks. So mm-hmm. we're finding there that's a, a big reduction in sort of coverage in in smaller cities, large towns, which at the time of when you've got, uh, I don't know, say as we are now in a pandemic, local information is so important. I, I remember working in Cardiff at one point and there was a lot of storms, a lot of flooding. We were able to put out very quickly a lot of local information for people just around the corner effectively or another part of the city and some of that is now disappeared completely because you have a network and they will combine Cardiff with Birmingham with Manchester and have the same right. output going across those uh, major cities which is perhaps a little change on uh, some local news or advertising so that's one aspect um, but when it comes to uh, technology and broadcasting I mean what you can do now on a mobile phone example in terms of live links from anywhere in the world or you can record interviews and then send them back to your radio station or insert them into a uh, program itself mm-hmm. gives one as a broadcaster so much flexibility and uh, opportunities to uh, broadcast from places where in the past one might not have been able to. We've definitely been taking advantage of that as students, and especially during COVID. Well, yeah, exactly. Like we are now working remotely from mm-hmm. uh, home or any remote location, which is uh, would have been very, very hard to have done um, 20 years ago. Moving on. So what do you think is responsible for a growing listener rate in radio in a country that's barely relied on technology 40 years ago? Traffic jams. <laughs> ah. <laughs> not, not so bad now, but, you know, traffic can be a bit sort of slow moving. And if you've got the uh, company of a radio station, a good a broadcaster, it makes that journey so much easier. I mean, we used to have a joke at one time, we'll have a little uh, slowdown over Garhood Bridge to make people get stuck there. And then we can bang out a lot of adverts and uh, we have a captive audience. But <laughs> that was just a little joke we used to have. But I think seriously, I mean, the UAE, I mean, people from so many, many different countries, so many different nationalities, used to listening to radio and TV broadcasting uh, organizations in their home countries, uh, hungry for that here in the UAE. And uh, now, I mean, there are so many different stations, uh, you know, catering for every nationality. And so inspired by the title of your new travel radio show, Wish You Were Here, we would love to know if you had to choose one place in the world you would rather be right now, as you know, we're all working remotely, where would you choose? Uh, very hard, actually, because I feel very comfortable, very safe here in the UAE, and we've got plenty to do here. And uh, the only aspect really is... Uh, family and relatives who are elsewhere. So mm-hmm. if I was to choose whatever place, I'd probably say Wales, where I have a base in the UK and uh, family within a couple of hours driving time. But at the moment, with lockdowns and things like that, uh, not the ideal place to go. So I'm very, very happy to be mm-hmm. here in the OE and I'm based in Russell Kamer. And uh, yeah, Russell Kamer is great. Oh, that's interesting. You're in Russell Kamer. Indeed. Wow. Great. So... <laughs> So, on my doorstep, we've got the uh, the water side, the water aspect, and then we've got the mountains, Jebel Jay. So, uh, two what a scenery! Of, uh, the Emirates. <laughs> what a scenery! Mm, indeed. Okay. So, since travel has been put on hold, we have seen like a great emergence in virtual travel around the world. Uh, have you tried it yourself, or what destination or experience has um, been your favorite? Yeah, to be honest, I haven't. I've been inundated with a few tourism boards asking me if we'd sort of feature their uh, virtual platforms to tell people about, uh, or to showcase um, 
their country. And um, I might do later on, you know, just uh, as things start opening up to different countries, start like, here we are, here's a preview. We'll have a look at, uh, I won't mention any countries at the moment, but uh, have a look. It's a bit of a marketing tool. You're not going to get any sort of experience by looking at it online from my, my perspective. You, you can't taste the cuisine unless we can start having uh, a, a right. robot coming digitally to us. I mean, that would be quite amazing, wouldn't it? You know, we're sort of seeing a nice uh, local dish in, uh, in, in Nepal or somewhere. I think, oh, I want to try that. And then we hit a button and uh, an app will give us that over over the uh, digital platforms. That'd be fantastic. But at the moment, you know, it's a bit of a flat dimension in my mind, seeing, seeing countries virtually. I want to be there. I've got to get myself immersed into the experience of visiting that country. Literally, I agree with what you said because it's sort of like without we going to that particular place, we, we don't know what is happening and how how is the culture. We can't embrace the culture because that's sort of like the main thing of when we travel to another country. It's yeah, just that we are embracing true. the culture. Yeah, one has to. One has to, yeah. And so on your own show, how did you attempt to induce a sense of traveling in your listeners this year with COVID going on? Yeah, um, I didn't want to make people feel travel sick. So I didn't dig into my vast uh, archives of sort of different destinations and experience uh, I, I've had the joy of uh, experiencing. I've really sort of kept it more to the point of what's happening, which airlines are flying, which countries are opening up. So it's been mm-hmm. much more of a... Hasn't been so so much of an experience. Whereas last year we we did special programs from some great destinations like uh, Tbilisi in Georgia, Montenegro, wow. uh, fascinating uh, part not far from uh, uh, Italy, really. Flying to Tivat with uh, Fly Dubai. So this year has been very much more news. Which countries opening up? A bit on the visa requirements, visa restrictions, but one has to be so careful that because it varies so much from uh, from nationality to nationality. But right. informing people of lockdowns, uh, quarantine restrictions in in different countries, so it's been more sort of newsy rather than experience wise. So going back to your show, it also features some of the greatest hits of the nineteen sixties, seventies, and eighties, which I love. <laughs> But why did you choose to opt for a blend of nostalgic sounds with current travel content? Well, what I'll uh, say is that, like, um, if you go into broadcasting these days, generally speaking, unless you're doing a specialist music show, be it uh, rock, country and western, hip-hop, whatever, one, as a presenter, does not normally have much say in the music being played. And that is certainly the case with Capital Radio UAE. It's formatted. The nature of the station is really sort of looking for an audience 35 plus, which the management field is not catered for by other stations. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, we have a lot. I mean, you're you're well under uh, 35 and it's good to know you like uh, the hits from days gone by. The basis of the station is hits from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and a sprinkling of new ones. And uh, to be honest, I don't. I don't have. I don't make any selections of the music in my show. I, I get from the music director the playout list, and uh, I go with that. And uh, yeah, if I want to, I can sort of play around a little bit. So if I'm talking about Africa, if I was doing a feature in Africa, I could bring out the <laughs> much used. Uh, song Africa by Toto, but uh, <laughs> no. So I, I basically I focus on the content, getting in the latest news, and and the music will flow as it's been uh, put together by the the music, the program director. So. I suppose we can assume that you're more of a fan of the hits from back then for us. <laughs> now, if I was choosing the news, it would be much more what I'd call indie, indie rock. <laughs> so, Ooh. Uh, and a bit of um, uh, classic, yeah, classic rock. So uh, that would be my sort of um, 
likes in music. But, oh, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I go with the flow of uh, what's been uh, uh, put onto the playlist by the, the program director. So now we have seen you taking over the podcasting industry also with your show called Travel Wise with Phil Blizzard. And you're talking about countries like Oman, you're talking about Thailand, you're just exploring places and giving like nooks and corners. And in 10 minutes, you're just giving an entire idea. So what aspect of podcasting do you prefer over radio? Something that radio doesn't have. What I like about it, I mean, it's like radio on demand. So, I mean, it's the, the way it can be used, consumed. You can listen to it whenever you want to. Mm-hmm. It's not out there in the ether and disappears. And uh, But, okay, more and more stations now are taking elements or entire programs, putting those out podcasts. But it's, it's um, and, well, also, I mean, I have total freedom because I don't have a uh, program director telling me not so much what to play in terms of music, but what content to feature. So one can right. use one's experience and judgment and uh, put into that podcast what one hopes will appeal to the audience. Well, it's great that you're getting to do that. And now finally, to conclude the interview, as an expert like yourself, what would be the one piece of advice you would give to the future generation of broadcasters? Uh, one piece of advice is to offer two pieces of advice, <laughs> if you don't mind. Um, sure. <laughs> first, first one is in terms of um, looking forward to a career in broadcasting is to be, what should we say, as broad as possible. Don't focus on one element. Don't focus on, you know, you might be a sports fanatic and that's all you want to do is sports programs, sports news, but be adaptable, cover as many aspects. Immerse yourself in the environment where you want to start your broadcasting. So if you're uh, looking at a city, get to know that city, get to know that town and be able to go out and sort of, I mean, I remember my first day with BBC Radio and, uh, I wanted to do programs, play music, but I, I started off helping a news team, which was fairly new to me. So I, I had to go out, one minute interview the main counsellor for transport, followed by someone from health, followed by someone from sport. And you just got to immerse yourself into it. Don't think I'm going to do sport and nothing else. Do sport, do music, do entertainment, do a bit on politics, maybe travel if you can, if you're lucky enough to be able to do uh, travel features on a regional radio station. But be as broad as possible. Don't focus on one element of broadcasting. The second piece of advice is to remember you are connecting with one person, not a mass audience. Uh, so when you're, you're talking and communicating, you don't say everyone out there. It's you. It's great to be with you, not great to be with everyone. It's a very personal medium, and that is so key. And unfortunately, I hear more and more often uh, people talking to a mass crowd rather than the individuals. Think, you talk, think of someone in your mind, maybe your mum or brother or sister or, or good friend, and you're, you're talking to them. Have that person in your mind uh, when you're, you're doing your links, doing your, your reports and things. Love that. Wow. Lovely, lovely. Great. Then that's pretty much it from our side. So to all our listeners, please do listen to Phil's show on Capital Radio. Wish you were here every Saturday from 2 to 5 p.m. on Capital Radio. So is there a uh, frequency number for that? It's uh, it's an online radio station based in Abu Dhabi and uh, awaiting the frequency for that. So you can uh, tune in from anywhere around the world on uh, www.cru. Ae.ae. Ae. Capital so, Radio. That's Google search. Make sure you tune in. See? <laughs> Using the right pronouns now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. So, Samira, and Arjun, it's been a pleasure joining you, and I wish you all the best for your uh, your careers and uh, the next uh, what year and a bit at uh, at university doing your multimedia yes. and then the entrepreneur aspect as well. So, good luck with that. Thank, Thank you, you so much, so. Phil. And that's a wrap from me, myself, Arjun, and my co-host Samira Banat. And please do subscribe to our podcast. Our podcasts are available on all so leading podcast platforms and. That's a wrap from the Incongruent Team.